the Apostle Paul told the church at Rome. What shall we say then was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes on the one who but believes in the one who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. Even as David speaks of the blessing to the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count his sin. Is this blessing then for the, un- for the circumcised only or also for the, for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before he was circumcised or after? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who had believed without being circumcised so that faith could be counted to them as righteousness also. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, then faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who was the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he would become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now the works, now the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake only, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that one verse is the text of our message this morning. Would you please turn your copy of the Christian New Testament to the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 5. This entire letter of Romans is about the undeserved, unmatched, unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. We have divided our series into six divisions. The priority of the gospel in the first 17 verses. Paul began by explaining that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Then from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter, the end of chapter 4, which we've, we've just gone through, he taught us about the heart of the gospel, God's wrath for sin, God's impartiality with people, the availability of the gospel for all people groups, that God's righteousness is available as we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And now the letter shifts with that one word at the beginning of chapter 5, therefore. We move into this third division of the letter. The assurance of the gospel. The assurance of the gospel. And this runs from chapter 5 verse 1 all the way through chapter 8 verse 39. So it's four chapters. Look with me, jump back to chapter 4. And I want to point out one, one verse. Um, that, that, uh, and then I will go come to chapter 5. Uh, chapter 4 verse 16 says, Therefore it is a faith that it might, the promise might rest on grace to the end that the promise might be sure or guaranteed to all of his offspring, to all of his seed. So that word sure, that word guaranteed, it's almost as if the Apostle Paul takes that word and now he's going to expand it into four chapters of assurance for the follower of Christ. Notice also that this section, this division of Romans, begins and ends in the same way. Chapter number 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what an assurance for us. We have peace with God. Then fast forward to the end of chapter 8. Verse 38 says, Paul says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a word of assurance for God's children. As you know, we're not rushing through our series in Romans, uh, where it's too rich and too beautiful for us to speed through it. So today, we're just kind of kind of introduce this new division and begin with chapter 5, verse 1, as a way to set the, the stage for this next, next section and our celebration for the Lord's, at the Lord's table this morning. You know, our world is looking for peace through a variety of means, isn't it? Some people just take a, need, a, need some peace, so they just decide, I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to go to the Caribbean, or I'm going to go to Cancun, or is that the same place? I'm going to go, so I'm going to go somewhere and, and just rest and have peace. Sometimes it's, they're looking for peace in medication or media, movies or whatever. 
video games, alcohol, illegal drugs, sensuality. Not all of those ways are unbiblical. We can enjoy a vacation, sitting in the yard watching birds or listening to spring come alive or whatever it is. But the world also seeks peace in, in ways that are ungodly. The point is that all of us would look for peace. If you are restless in your soul, if you lack peace in your soul, this passage is for you. This verse is for you. Unbeliever, the only real peace for your soul is found through Jesus Christ. Christian, you have peace with God. This passage graciously reminds you and it assures you that you have that peace. It also challenges each of us to live in a way that remembers that we have peace with God. Notice how Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 goes from justification to glorification without even mentioning sanctification. Chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, justified, Verse 2, by whom we also have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It skips right over sanctification. It goes from justification to glorification. Romans chapter 8, the, the end of the section, uh, does the same thing. Uh, chapter 8 verse 30 says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Justification leads directly to glorification. In other words, these four chapters are primarily concerned not with our life on this earth, although there's plenty of that, but Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8 are chiefly concerned with us being convinced that our justification by faith is final. Our justification by faith alone is settled. Our justification by faith in Jesus Christ is complete. It's unmovable. Paul wanted the church at Rome to know, and by extension, we are to know, that our justification is assured through Jesus Christ. It's complete. Nothing can change it. So as we take up these four chapters over the next months, be glad for, Give thanks for, rejoice in the assurance that you can have because of Jesus Christ. The apostle begins, begins this theme by introducing the reality that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Your sin, every human being, your sin forfeited your peace with God. But God's Son redeemed your peace with God. Notice, as we take just a few moments before we come to the table, first of all, the reason for assuring peace. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 3 has given us a good understanding of our sinful ways as a human being, a desperately dark picture, description. Then Paul spent all of chapter 4 explaining how we could be justified by faith alone. He even, he even handled and addressed some of the objections that would come against the teaching of being justified by faith alone. Now in chapter 5, as he begins to lay out the assurance of the gospel, the, the reason falls back to what he covered in chapter 4. In other words, assurance 
is available precisely because we have been justified by faith. The reason that we can have peace with God is because we have indeed been justified by faith. We have peace with God. Notice that it's the present tense. We'll get to that in a moment. But first note, Paul says, therefore, being justified by faith. It's the aorist tense in the original language. It's denoting a past tense, a past action. Both old commentators that died a long time ago and new commentators that died more recently uh, point out that this is best translated since we have been justified instead of translating it being justified. And here's why. We know from the whole of Scripture that justification is a settled historical event. We have been justified, and because of that, as a result of that past justification, we do presently have peace with God. Don't get cloudy on the timing, in other words. For the Christian, justification is, is past tense. From the moment someone believes in Jesus and puts their trust in Jesus, God makes a declaration that that person is just once and for all, for all of eternity. So we've already been justified by faith in the past if we are in Christ. Therefore, because of that, the reason that we have peace with God is because we have been justified. Being justified is the reason for our peace. Paul doesn't tell us, hey, Go start looking for peace. You know, you ought to go start looking for peace, and, and here's how you might be able to find it. No, he doesn't say that at all. He says we presently have peace with God. Most unbelievers do not think of themselves as enemies of God. They don't hate God. They don't do protest in the streets against God. They, but they, neither do they, they, they see themselves as having peace with God. Most consider themselves to be neutral about God. But the Bible makes it plain that that is not the case. Every human being is a sinner. Every human being enters into this world and sins by birth and by choice. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. How can... The hostility for our sin stop. Is there a ceasefire? We have grown up in a world where everyone thinks that they are a child of God. They don't believe that they are an enemy of God. This is especially evident in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, isn't it? Almost everyone we talk to out in public thinks that they have peace with God. Beloved, as we evangelize, we must do this with the awareness that people are not naturally at peace with God, even if they think they are. I don't know the heart of every person gathered this morning or of everybody watching online, but I knew that all of us began this life as enemies of God. And even though we are his enemy as we began life, God invites you to have peace with him. He does this through his son. That's the invitation to you. That's the invitation to me. If you want to know more, if, if you've never yet experienced peace with God, you've never yet placed your faith in Jesus, and you want to know more about what that means, chat with us after the service. Contact us this week, and we'll be glad to show you from God's word how you can know that peace with God. 
your sin forfeited your peace with God, but God's Son redeemed your peace with God. So the reason for this assuring peace is that we have been justified by faith. But Paul goes on in this verse and explains the relationship of assuring peace. He says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And we should make a distinction here. This is not the peace of God. Paul talks about that in, a, in, a, in his letter to the church at Philippi. There's a difference between the peace of God and having peace with God. Paul t- wrote to the church at Philippi, Don't be anxious about anything, but in, every, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your, pe- let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's a real thing. That's a reality. That's the reality of being a child of God. It's a promise of hope for the Christian journey, especially during trials. But that's not the same thing that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Here the Apostle Paul is talking about having peace with God. Practically speaking, we will never know the peace of God until we first have peace with God. One of Satan's regular strategies is to make Christians doubt their justification by faith alone, is actually secure. Satan wants you to not have assurance of the gospel. You see, the chief work of the gospel is not to supply us with blessings. Rather, the chief work of the gospel is to reconcile us to God, to bring us back into that relationship. Back in the Garden of Eden, our ancestors walked with God in the garden with full uninterrupted communion with God. The relationship was perfect in every way. But then sin brought hostility to the relationship. God was angered at sin. We rebelled against God. Your sin forfeited your peace with God, but God's Son redeemed your peace with God. It's a matter of relationship. So, having been justified, we are at peace with God. When we sin, even now, after we have been justified, and we look to God and we say, God, I sinned, and we acknowledge that, there's no longer any wrath for our sin. There's no longer any anger against us. God's wrath has been fully appeased. It's been fully satisfied through Jesus. And that's what we believe. And that's why God has justified us. So that's why we have peace with God. That's why we have again been reconciled to God. 12 or 13 years ago, there was a kid in the Harvest Bible Church youth group, one of the leaders in the group. Great guy. I still keep in touch with him. He lives out of state. It came time to him for, for him to have his wisdom teeth yanked out, removed, his wisdom teeth removed. And the procedure went well. He went home to recover. The only problem was when he woke up from his procedure, he had no memory of the past. Like he didn't remember uh, getting his teeth removed. He didn't remember his house. He didn't remember his mama. And so everyone was concerned. His parents were understandably concerned. Uh, They took him the next day to the doctor. They scheduled him for an MRI to find out what was going on. I met him over at the health campus before the MRI, and I was walking up to him. I was about to give him a big hug, and he was, like, giving me that look about why this big ugly guy is going to give him a hug, uh, this guy that I don't even know who he is. Why is this stranger coming at me? 
as it turns out, it was just a freak accident, a freak response, reaction to the, the anesthesia. So finally, on the third day after the procedure, he woke up, walked out of his bedroom, and he remembered everything, even his mama. So all you moms out there can just relax. For those three days, he had no memory of the past. Wild, isn't it? Christian, for all of eternity, God will not remember your sins. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12 says, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. That is a promise. That is a promise that assures us of the good news of Jesus. So maybe as all illustrations break down, it breaks down here because it's not that God forgets something. He simply chooses not to remember it any longer. The only way that you can have peace with God if he is, is if he is not angry with you for your sins. Peace with God will only happen if there is no more wrath for the sinful choices that you have made or are making. So it's not only a future hope, it's a present reality. We presently have peace with God. This is all centered on our relationship with God. There are two parties in a relationship, you and God. And from our side, we were at odds with God. Remember Romans chapter 8 verse 7 says that we have hostility to God. Our mind was set in, in a hostile way towards God. There was a wall of, between us and God. There was, there was enmity. There was war going on. But the wall has been broken down. The enmity has been removed. And the war has ceased. The relationship between God and man has been restored. What does that mean for your life this week? It means that you can rest in your soul. It means that in all of your successes or failures as a Christian, you don't move in your relationship with God. You still have peace with God whether you were successful in obeying him or unsuccessful. Consider the peace that comes with knowing that God is no longer angry with you. You will not be cast out because of your sin. You will not be forsaken because of your sin. Jesus already was for your, forsaken for your sin. So there is not a maintenance plan of, of good works that is necessary for, for you to do in order to have peace with God. When God enters a peace treaty with his people, it is a permanent peace. It is a, a per, irrevocable peace. Because of what Jesus has done, we currently have and always will have peace with God. It frees us from focusing on our own goodness and attempts at making God happy. Instead, we're able to serve with full confidence that nothing can separate us from our Heavenly Father. The only way that you can have peace with God is if he is not angry with you about your sins. Peace with God will only happen if there is no more wrath for the sinful choices you have made. And that leads us to the last section of this verse and points us to the Redeemer of assuring peace. Therefore, being having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, here it is, through our Lord Jesus Christ, the peacemaker. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince 
of peace. Jesus came into the world to do a work of mediation. Jesus came into the world to reconcile. Jesus came into the world and so that relationship could be redeemed, so that our relationship could be redeemed with God. He tells us that in John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So, your peace with God is not dependent on your power. It's dependent upon the all-powerful one. The beautiful gift of peace with God, because we have been justified by faith, comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who makes the peace possible. More specifically, what he did on the cross and his resurrection. We would not have peace with God without Christ. There is no other means to peace with God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father except through him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus himself is our peace. The Prince of Peace has endured the most unpeaceful event in all of history in order to bring you and me peace. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. So do you see the full picture? God's Son has had a perfect relationship with God the Father from eternity past, always. Humanity was created. We enjoyed perfect communion with God the Father as well. But we sinned. We wrecked the relationship. Jesus never sinned, not in any way. But his relationship with God was interrupted. His relationship with God experienced turmoil No peace, because Jesus took our sin upon himself. So his relationship with the Father was was blocked while he bore our sins on the cross. He had no peace on the cross. He only had torments. And he did that in order that we might have our relationship with God restored and enjoy peace with God. Jesus redeemed our peace. So, brothers and sisters... How can we hold on to our sin when we know that Christ has done this for us? Repent, run, confess. Christian, rest in the peace that is yours as a result of Christ's work for you. And that's what we do do now as we come to the table. We remember the substitutional work of Jesus on our behalf. We celebrate the, the reality that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We rest in the relationship that Jesus redeemed for us. So before we come and take of the elements this this morning, please put your face covering back on and let's sing a, a hymn of remembrance. A hymn that points us back to what Jesus has done for us in restoring that relationship, in giving us peace with God. Would you please stand together and we'll sing Behold the Lamb.